Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. Does this thing have four-wheel drive? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. And you, dear listener, are the driver. Have you ever been off-roading? is by Nordic Moxie. Not all heroes wear capes, but a whole dedicated bunch of them wear scrubs. Well, we're into, I think, week three of this quarantine. And not only are we off the map, I think we might be off the road as well. How are you two holding up? Well, you know, we're essential workers providing mental health services to folks. Uh, That means that we've kept the clinic open. We're seeing about half, maybe, two-thirds of the people virtually and half face-to-face. Yeah, pretty pretty accurate. Something around that. And it's becoming more and more virtual as people become more comfortable with that technology. The challenge, though, is, is that for a lot of folks with mental health issues, they want some level of personal connection. So we run a small amount of risk, but we do everything right. Uh, Kim has a cute sign on her couch that says, sit over there because it's six feet away. I measured. She's really good about keeping things clean. Yep. There's Clorox wipes everywhere. I got a new um, sanitizer for the couches that actually sanitizes things, unlike your Febreze. We just dissed a brand name. Throwing shade. I'm glad you found it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a pet formula, but (laughs) (laughs) it kills 99.9% of bacteria. So, But this is a virus. Those are pet bacteria. Did you read all the fine print? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Oi. Anyway. It makes us think we're okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, y'all deal in mental health. Thinking we're okay <laughs> is important. I, Placebo yeah. effect for the win. There you go. Personal bubble. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's pretty accurate. I am glad that I still have some semblance of my regular schedule. You know, I'm happy to be able to get out of the house and have a place to go and a, a kind of purpose for going there that's not the grocery store. So that's been nice. It's also been really, for me, it's been gratifying. I've been handling a lot of folks over the telephone that are not yet patients. They've just called looking for help um, and being able to, to help calm them down and ground them in what's happening right now. Because fear sits out there in the future. And fear is the idea that a bad future is going to happen and then acting as if it's happening right now. So I've helped people ground themselves a little bit. And that's been very gratifying. How are you, how are you and Sarah doing? We're doing okay. You know, we're really lucky that, uh, our work was relatively easy to convert to remote work, spend a lot of time on Slack and zoom calls now. And I don't know, I do a lot of graphic design, so that's mostly just me and then passing things off to other people. Yeah. So work has remained in some ways largely the same, just from my home studio instead of my desk at work. I think it's been a process kind of finding what works at home 
it's a little bit different than what works in the office. I definitely, the first day that we were fully remote, my desk at home is not a standing desk. My desk in the office is. And I ended up sitting the whole day. And I was so sore. I was more sore from sitting than I have been from a workout in months. And so I immediately set about trying to resolve that because I don't stand all day. It's just a matter of I can't physically sit for eight hours anymore because I'm more active than that in my normal routine. Mm -hmm. So finding ways to get, like Kim said, your normal routine in little ways back um, can be really nice. Uh, That actually reminds me, Sarah shared a really awesome article (laughs) Basically, there was, it's an article from this guy and he's saying like that, that uncomfortable feeling you have is grief. Yes. And the loss of routine, the loss of being able to go out to places and the loss of just normalcy for everyone. And we have this unprecedented, massive global loss of, we're not even totally sure yet what we've lost. You know, yes, there's, it's still unknown. It was interesting to me to identify that feeling because I've definitely felt that at varying points in the past three weeks or so and, but not necessarily labeled it grief. Mm -hmm. Um, And you think of grief as like, I don't know, I always think immediately of someone dying, right? Sure. And that's what you're grieving. But there's a lot of things you can grieve Yeah. and kind of framing this situation in that way was a, a different look at it that I found valuable. And I mean, this is also a global trauma and a lot of people hear the word trauma and they're like, this isn't a trauma. And I'm like, it it is. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of stuff happening here that can have a traumatic experience for people. Sure. And one of the challenges is, is that in the last 50 years, we've linked trauma with disease or disorder and trauma a hundred years ago was not linked with disease or disorder. Trauma was just a thing that happened and you grew from it. And the opportunity here is for, for us to grow, for us to learn from this experience about what's necessary and what's not. Personal um, bubbles. Yeah. Don't get near me. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're all at, I guess. Sure. Do you want to get into some of these questions? I'm I'm just the navigator. So we thought I laid out the map. I'm gonna okay. Did you lay out the map? I did lay out the map. He's got an X on here. Maybe there's some treasure. <laughs> there's always treasure. Well, so we're kind of I think in a unique position here where all three of us are in different phases of life and situations. So we're just gonna talk about what it's like for each of us and maybe that helps some of those listeners out there. So Kim, why don't you start and tell us about What are some things about being single during quarantine? Well, so yesterday I found my cat reading a book about attachment theory. So I'm pretty sure he thinks he can fix me now. Um, (laughs) I'm skeptical on that one. Hey, I'm Um, I'm rooting for Spooky. He's a smart cat. (laughs) He is. Um, The the picture will be up on Instagram so you guys can check that out too. It was a very cute photo. Let's see. As far as being single, I mean, it's it's lonely. I'm definitely isolated. I have a roommate, but she is shelter in placing with her boyfriend. So she's not home. That being said, I did deep clean and reorganize my entire apartment on Friday. I did, however, post all of the meals that I cooked to the family chat. I've seen those. So that is another thing that I've been able to do. You know, it and uh, yeah, so being single and in quarantine is very isolating. 
Uh, I spend a fair amount of time connecting with people on Facebook and Zoom and whatever weird other things we're using nowadays. I have definitely gotten a lot of reading done because that's my favorite pastime. And my internet streaming services are kind of glitchy right now. So I've been reading instead. Have you been doing any art? Yeah. So last weekend, I actually hopped on a Zoom call with Mama and we did art together at a distance. Uh, We painted avocados, um, which mine turned out really well. I'm actually kind of proud of it. So far, that's really the only art that I've done just because most of the time I'm like, I just want to sit and be quiet. And I have that pond in my backyard. So it's really nice to sit and just experience that. We had a beaver in it the other day. A beaver? A beaver. It was so cool. I have not found quarantine to be a particularly creative space for me personally. I see a lot of people out there and honestly more power to them who are like, oh yeah, I'm like making music or I'm doing art or like, you know, here's a thousand ideas for things you can photograph in your apartment, you know, and there's some (laughs) really cool stuff. Like I saw a guy who, I mean, he, he has like a pro setup, so it's not really a fair comparison, but he does miniatures. And so he went out and he collected like a ton of moss and trees and stuff. And he built this tabletop sized miniature landscape to put replica cars in and did like a full on car photo shoot complete with he added like an air sprayer under a sand layer so that it would kick up dirt (laughs) so it looks like the car is like skidding down the road and it's beautiful photography it's the kind of thing that eats up like a week of time right so it's perfect for this but i haven't done any photography i've done hardly any music i have done some reading and i've played more video games than i usually do but i'm finding it way too stressful to like be in a creative space which I don't really feel a way about, but that's why I was curious if you had been doing some art or not. But. Yeah, Mama Mama got me to do art, and I think I, I also have been struggling with, like, I'm not particularly creative right now. Um, I do expend a fair amount of energy doing therapy where I'm like, stay positive, guys. We can do this. I believe that there will be an end and things will be okay, but that existential angst is kind of setting in of, like, well... What is my purpose here? What am I doing with my life? And yeah, so I mean, that's been a weird dynamic of what is motivating me to do anything. So what insights have you developed that you might be able to share with our listeners that would be helpful to them if they're single and they're sheltering in place on their own about ways to hold that negative feeling off? I don't know if it is holding that negative and existential cloud off as so much as embracing it and being like, well, now's the time to actually consider this. And what does this mean? And and wading through it and talking to yourself. I cooked a whole bunch of dinners the other day. I had some interesting conversations with myself while cooking dinner just because I I do tend to think in that way about myself of what is my purpose? If I'm able to cook these meals, what does that mean going forward? Because I'm able to support myself as an individual. And as an individual, what would I look like in a relationship? And I go down this really entertaining spiral. But I've not let it consume me. And I don't know how to describe that as a 
differential of like how to embrace without being consumed by. Okay. So stay tuned listeners, because eventually she'll figure it out and she'll share it with you. That's the dream. What you said reminded me again in that article, I think he talks about not being afraid of your feelings and that often we treat a feeling, especially sadness or grief as that it will overwhelm you and take over and and hold you down and then other feelings will pile on and that that's not necessarily true that it's okay to feel a feeling and let it kind of flow through you and just feel it and then let it go and there will be more feelings after that it's not going to be just one just recognizing that it's natural to feel away and also importantly recognizing that you don't necessarily need to have feelings about your feelings that it's okay to feel sad even though you may recognize that there's someone else out there who is in a much worse situation than you it's still okay for you to feel sad right let yourself feel sad move on yes you can drown in six inches of water six feet of water (laughs) is kim is very morbid today (laughs) is it that's a nice metaphor. It's, it's the, oh my gosh. That's like Before the, st- the episode, Kim was like, we it's, need to be positive. And now she's up in here like, well, here's how you drown. <laughs> but what you were talking about just now with feeling your feelings but not letting them overwhelm. I was trying to look up the person who came up with this. There is a really cool metaphor of your, let's see if I can get this right. You are the sky. And your emotions are clouds. And sometimes you get big clouds that cover up the sky. So you don't really see what the sky is. You just have this big gray cloud and it's sad and it's raining. But behind that sadness, you are still you. And remembering that, yeah, you might have this really gross big gray cloud You might have a roll of fog, but it will move on. And underneath that, you are still you and your sky is still blue. And, you know, the idea of comparing your emotions to anyone else, it's it's never helpful to you. The comparison isn't. Your life is your life. So that's that's some about what it's like for being single. What's it like being a young couple and stuck in the house together? And being stuck in the house together hasn't felt too bad yet. Honestly, we have a small house, but it's enough space for the two of us. It's a three bedroom house and we've turned two of the bedrooms into home offices. So we have separate rooms that we can work in, which is already a huge blessing. We don't have kids, which at this exact moment is also a huge blessing. (laughs) So really, it hasn't been that bad. Uh, Like I was saying, there are a lot of things about regular work that are basically the same. Sarah and I work for the same company. So in regular times, she's right down the hall from me anyway. She's a little closer now (laughs) than she was then. But that's really not different. We have tried to keep close to our regular routine. We still take the dog out on walks. It's a great excuse to get outside. And frankly, Toast demands it. We still have personal space. It's really been okay. I think we're incredibly lucky. I was actually talking to Sarah today about I feel that we are incredibly lucky in this exact moment in history to be in pretty much the most flexible stage of our life we possibly could be in. We have stability. 
but we don't have a lot of dependents. If we had to just move somewhere immediately, we could do that. You know, if we had to drastically change something in our lives, we would be able to do that. I'm really hopeful that we don't have to do any of that kind of stuff, but I don't know. It gives me some peace that we're at that phase of life, I guess. What recommendations from how you're set up would you have for other young couples that they may be able to use? It's a good question. The past couple of weeks, I, I had a lot going on at work. So a lot of this just revolves around like trying to manage a busy work schedule and dealing with being quarantined. I personally am a huge proponent of investing money in the right tools for what you're doing. And not everybody can do that. I recognize that, you know, I come from a place of having the money to be able to having a stable, well-paying job. But I have always invested a lot of money into my setup. I like gear. You know, I'm an audio guy. I'm a photography guy. I, I like equipment and setups and cool rigs. And so that's part of it. It's kind of a pastime and a hobby of mine in a way. But it makes a huge difference when you're able to work and you know, you're know you not frustrated by your setup. Like I was talking about my standing desk thing. You know, That first day, I, it was awful. I was so uncomfortable. So I immediately fixed that because that's important. And I, I think sometimes it's hard to recognize that. I mean, these are like workflow things, but that's kind of my specialty. I get into that stuff. And I think that it's sometimes hard for people who are not into that to recognize the value of it. And so I would just emphasize that if you can find ways to make getting done what you have to get done each day, you know, if, if you're lucky enough to be able to work remotely, make yourself comfortable doing that. Now is the time, go buy a fancy monitor. Like, yes, it's expensive, but if you can afford it and it's going to make your eyes less tired because you have more space to work, do that. If you're sitting on a couch all day and your back hurts because it's not appropriate seating to be working for eight hours, go get a desk and a chair or even better, a standing adjustable height thing, you know, whatever you can do. And it doesn't have to be expensive either. I mean, the way I resolved my standing desk thing is that I have a normal height desk and we have these, uh, I think they're like breakfast in bed trays that someone got us for our wedding. I have never once eaten breakfast in bed on them, but I use them all the time because they are the exact height to go from a regular desk to standing height with like a keyboard and mouse. And so I, I use that every day now. And I'm able to, like I said, I don't stand all day. So I sit. And then when I realize I'm getting tired of sitting, I can stand up back and forth. That helps me stay sane. You know, that helps me not be physically uncomfortable and thus irritable at Sarah. What about date nights? I think what last bonus episode we talked about that and I can't remember the article you mentioned. Yeah, you know, we we haven't really I wouldn't say we've done a formal date night. Um and I don't know that we will. That's not I don't know how much that would um mean to either of us, I guess. Like I think for Sarah and me having a nice dinner and watching a movie together is nice. You know, like that is kind of a date night. I I don't think either of us feel a huge need to like put out candles and flowers and stuff, but I think that that's really valuable to some people. So I, I think it's a great idea. We do try to set aside time as we always do, you know, just like before all of this to spend time together, you know, like we still try to 
have dinner together and watch a show each night, just like we normally do. And we, we've done that a little bit less than we used to, but it's still most nights our routine. We've had a couple of group video calls with friends. Um, we did play two sessions now of remote Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> um, which is pretty good. You know, that's a game that works really well remote. You're just talking to people. It's all verbal. And then you have a pile of dice and you roll and you see what happens. And it works. You know, you don't need a lot. Um, I think there's even if you if you're out there and you're interested in Dungeons and Dragons and you've never done it before, the official D&D website, I think, posted like a blog guide about how to get started playing it remotely. So they just walk you through step by step how to like make the characters and get going. So is anybody questioning why it is you're getting so many 20s? <laughs> That's right. It's like, <laughs> you have to trust your your players and stuff. I mean, I actually joked that. I was more comfortable playing it remote just because I had more space to put out sure. all of my notes and my, I could pull up stuff on my other screen, have all my spells ready and like a huge pile of dice and a place to roll them. A lot of times when we're playing in person, we're around a table and it's kind of limited space. So you've got dice flying off the table all the time and like landing in the chips. And You know, you alluded to something, Ben, that I think is really important for our listeners to, to pay attention to, and that's having a schedule. And that if you have a schedule and you live to that schedule, it's going to make your life a little easier. It also makes it easier for other people in your house if they know what to expect. I, as, as the listener knows, I'm a huge fan of schedules and calendars and organization. Yeah, that's been super important to me. And, and also, this is a little less tangible, but watching the ways that my schedule has shifted on its own. Because... I'm I'm more of a morning person. So my usual schedule with work very quickly is like get up around six. I'm usually in the office by eight working. I'm home by about 4.30. I walk the dog. And then the rest of the evening, I've either got like house chores or other work to do, that kind of thing. We usually have dinner pretty late around like eight or nine. And then I'm in bed by 10.30. So what I've noticed in quarantine times is that <laughs> schedule has shifted slightly I'm not getting to bed quite as early and I'm letting that happen, you know, because I want to see like what makes this is a different thing. So like maybe the schedule does need to change. I'm still trying to get up early, but I'm not getting up quite as early because I'm not getting to bed quite as early. And then, like I said, I'm not necessarily taking the dog for a walk in the morning. So how does that affect things? For me personally, it just so happened that a bunch of my work projects became active right as all of this happened. So the past two weeks for me have been like 10 hour days, just almost every day, which has been crazy. And that also throws things off because that's unusual. You know, most of my work days are around eight hours. So 10 hours is a lot. And I've been trying to keep an eye on like, okay, are these things shifting because of the state of the world or because of a coincidence that my projects got really busy, at, you know, at the same time. But yeah, I, I think a schedule set something, see if it works, and then adapt as necessary. Yes. If you're not a morning person, don't try to get up at 6 a.m. It's You're just going to fight Wait, yourself. that's midday. And be mad. You be quiet, Sarah. <laughs> but Sarah, Sarah is not a morning person. And she was struggling because she wanted to get up earlier. Sure. And she felt like, well, I don't know exactly how she felt. She expressed to me that she wanted to wake up earlier. She tried for a few days and she was miserable doing it. And that's fine. She doesn't need to be awake at 6 a.m. 
she's much better getting, you know, quote, to work at like 10 a.m. And then she works from like 10 p.m. to one in the morning. And she's active and sharp and able to answer things and be smart. I am an idiot after 10 p.m. I can't I can't put a sentence together. I think we can vouch for that. Dude, I am also an idiot after like 9 p.m. Yeah, all three of us are Thanks. complete dummies after about 9.30, 10 p.m. That's right. It's just not my time. I, I can feel that my body is slowing down. Sarah runs circles around me. It's hilarious. But at 6 a.m., she can't even open her eyes. And I'm like wide awake, ready to go. I do incredible work from like 6 to 9 a.m. So just, you know, set yourself a schedule, but also recognize what works for you. Right. Don't let the schedule run you. Yeah. You need to run the schedule. Absolutely. Yes. And if you, I mean, it gets so much more complicated when you add more factors, right? Sure. A, a partner, a pet, children, other people in your household. But, you know, figure out those factors. Think about the windows of time that you have available and whether you're productive in them or not. See if you can find some windows of time that you know I'm productive during this time and I'm able to set it aside and make that, you know, the the work time or the the chores time, whatever you need. Yep. You you brought up a, a great point about it's it's a little easier when it's just you and Sarah and the dog. It becomes a little bit more complex if you've got the couple, maybe a dog or a cat or a couple of dogs, a couple of cats, and then you've got children at various ages. And here, coordination of those activities becomes important. That schedule actually becomes an important coordinating communication so that people can expect what's going on with one another and they can operate in a more interwoven way, maybe not in lockstep with one another, but at least understanding, I know that mom or dad is working from 9 a.m. or 10 a.m., to one and lunch is going to be at one for them. I can join them for lunch and that's when I get to interact with them. Or kids are going to be doing school in the morning and in the afternoon doing more active things. But coordinating that and then living to that schedule so that Monday to Friday is different than Saturday and Sunday. You, you have a work week and a weekend because it's all blending together. I have had a lot of trouble with that. And I've even joked with Sarah about it. They're like, all the days are the same now. Yeah. They're just all the same. I might as I could take the day off on Tuesday and I'll just work on Saturday instead, you know, and that doesn't totally fly. There really does need to be some distinction. Um, and that's definitely something I've had trouble with. Yes. And, and imagine that multiplied by lots of different people right. in the house uh, already. And, you know, you talked about grief before. Uh, one of the things to pay attention to with your kids is that they're losing a bunch of things. All of the activities that they expected for the spring season uh, are not happening for them. Their interactions with their friends are not happening for them. For a whole bunch of kids, they're not going to walk across a graduation stage. They're not going to go to a prom. There's a bunch of things that they're grieving. And parents and siblings need to be attentive to how to help and be a good listener to those kids as they struggle with those realities. Yeah. And it's, I think to me, thinking about it, you know, trying to put myself in that position, almost the worst part is like, not only are you missing it, but this is such a long lasting event. There's no, there's no makeup. There's no like other thing that you can replace that with later. It's not like, oh, next year we could do 
I mean, maybe people will do this. I kind of hope they do. I would love to see year later senior proms or something where people just get together in solidarity of having lost this thing together. But there isn't really that. And so it's this really profound loss that it just is no more. Yes, yes. And appreciating it for that. Yeah. Not blowing it off like, oh, it was just a dance. Or it's just walking across the stage. You still get your degree. It's not the same. It's true. And parents understanding that sometimes this grief might come out as anger in their kids. I had a session today with someone who's really angry about these losses. Sure. That's just part of their grieving process. So, you know, understanding that we all grieve in different ways. Um and not everyone will just be sad and mopey. Some people might be screaming and yelling and biting your head off. True. And no, that's not okay. But understanding that there is probably a deep meaning for the behavior. Because, yeah, I mean, it's it's scary to look at these types of things and the loss and the unknowns. I mean, if we really go down the deep and dark road that I've spent many weeks trying not to go down of we don't know how long this is going to last. And so what does that look like when it goes to college uh, move-in days? Oh, yeah. We, there's There are a lot of ramifications yeah. that we haven't even begun to think about right. or understand. So this is, this is where if you have a schedule and you can be gentle with one another and you can practice looking at what are the things that you appreciate about the people that are around you, it can become... Uh, a healthier environment for you. And it's a practice. Getting on a schedule that works for you is a practice. Noticing the things that you truly appreciate about all the people in your home is a practice. It won't happen naturally. It doesn't just occur. You actually have to engage in it. Also, understanding that there is a lot of social media going around about how Quarantine is the time for you to learn all of these new things and do all of this stuff and deep clean your home. And, you know, if you didn't do this, it's not that you didn't have the time, it's that you didn't have the discipline. And I've gotten really angry seeing that post a lot because this is not just a vacation. This is a different experience for a lot of people and sure. there are a lot of emotions happening. So, you might not be in a space to deep clean your apartment or to do the art. That's why I wanted to ask you about the art, because I was curious if you felt like you were in that space, because I know I'm not. Right. And those posts piss me off, too, because I'm like, this has nothing to do with discipline. I did see a really beautiful post uh, by a teacher talking about their connection with their students and how they've had students who have reached out and been like, I'm so sorry I didn't get this thing done. It's not that I'm slacking off, but my aunt just got diagnosed with COVID and I'm having to deal with taking care of my uh, cousins now because she's not able to. And teachers realizing that this whole online learning thing is new for everybody. And even college professors where online learning might be more normalized and easier to approach, that there's a lot of unseen things that are happening that are impacting students and their ability to do work. Sure. Because it is really scary when you get a phone call and suddenly both of your grandparents are ill. And you can't go visit them. Right. You may not be able to, to have a last conversation with them. Uh, so th there are lots of things, and that's kind of on, on the negative side of this, and we were going to talk about that in a minute when we get to talking about Sorry. <laughs> um, interacting with, with the elders in our lives. 
But while we're talking about kids, remember also that modeling is the most powerful way we parent. So how we're handling this is an important message that we're giving to our children every day. So take time as a as a couple or as an individual parent, if you're solo parenting at home, and really think about who do I want to be today as a model for my kids? And that could include your anxiety or your sadness or your rage at what's going on. You know, the fact that there is no toilet paper anywhere to be, to be found or whatever other issue is out there. That actually reminded me, I was talking with someone about how do you talk to younger kids about this? Because they might not understand that money is getting tight or someone in the family is getting laid off. And that means a whole bunch of structural changes. You know, talking to a young kid in a way that they understand it and in a way that it becomes an acceptable change. I might be remembering this incorrectly uh, as that happens a fair amount, but you got laid off and I was in middle school, I think. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And a lot of things changed. Uh, like we couldn't go to the movies quite as much as we had in previous years. And, you know, eating takeout or getting new toys was kind of lower on the to-do list. And I remember having these discussions in the family and how it was brought up of, you know, our financial situation has changed and here's what we're doing and here's what we can do. It's not that we can't go see movies. It's that we need to pick which movie we want to go see and not letting it be a terror experience for at least me. I don't. I can't speak for Ben. Of you know, we're running out of money. What are we going to do? But letting it be a decision and a, a lesson of you know how do we shape our behaviors around this? I have seen through a couple of friends of mine on on Facebook families where someone has gotten laid off. And so they're talking to the kids about like, hey, we need to save money. We're not going to be making the same amount of money. And the kids were like finding coins in the couch and being like, is this going to help pay the bills? So looking at how you talk to your kids about this, because that can be a kind of traumatic experience if it's like, is this quarter going to help pay the bills? And it's like, no, not really, but they're clearly worried about it. So talking with them about what does that mean and how are we going to band together as a community, as a family and getting through this because this is a wild adventure. It is a wild adventure and there's lots of learnings that can happen in there. And it is a time for, you know, having hope. Uh, it's easy to lose hope. And that's the thing that will, that will make this much harder than it has to be. Have hope, wash your hands, don't touch your face. You're good to go. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. Okay, so I, I had promised talking about elderly folks uh, and our interactions with them. Um, and the funny story is just today as I was getting ready to, to do this podcast, our next door neighbors who are um, much younger than Mama and I offered to go to the grocery store for us because we are elderly and wouldn't want to be out there in the risk. Uh, yes. <laughs> which so That's very good. Which, yeah. which side? <laughs> <laughs> to, to, well, it depends on which way you're facing. If you're facing out of our house to the right. Okay. It was delightful and it was wonderful and it was so kind, um, extraordinarily kind. But then that's kind of my first... Um, Experience of being an old man? Of being seen as an old man, <laughs> as opposed to being accused of being an old man by the two of you. But this is a challenge, right? Because a lot of independent living places have shut down. So like your all's grandparents, 
where they live, which is a continuing care retirement community, has shut down. They don't allow visitors in, uh, and they're really trying to control things. And when when we talk to to them, they talk about friends who are struggling. You know, fear fear is the biggest part, but some of them have gotten sick and have died from COVID. Others have just died because that's what happens when you're in your late 80s and 90s. All of it, though, is frightening and very sad for them because the things that they would engage in when other members of their community would die, going to a funeral or singing the, the funeral mass or those kinds of things, they're not allowed to do. So their outlets and ways of managing it aren't there. So do you have tips for them? A key thing is be in contact with your family. So even if you can't go to visit, call. And a call is better than an email, which is better than a text. Give a call. And if you can do it via, if the old folk can manage a FaceTime or a Skype call, do that even for five or 10 minutes. And if you don't have family that you're close to. Sure. So I walk in several different community circles. And one of the things that all of the community circles I'm in uh, have been talking about is reaching out to folks that you haven't heard from lately and making a concerted effort of doing two or three people every couple of days, just calling and having a five minute or a 10 minute conversation with folks that you used to see at, for me, it would be F3 or at church um, that you haven't seen. And they may be doing fine. It's not like you're checking in on someone who you're afraid is sick. You're just making a connection that would have been part of your normal routine had we had these social interactions. Have you been doing that? I am not very good at that. That's <laughs> not a good skill. That's what I was thinking to right. myself. So it's a place where I thought I need to develop this skill. I don't have this skill as a natural part of my set. I also find it challenging, which is interesting because we're both extroverts. Yes. And I have no problem with this. <laughs> And she's our introvert. I'm very good at this because I might be introverted, but I tend to be the the um, caretaker in my relationships. I tend to be the one who reaches out and says, hey, are you doing okay? My best friend Leah being a great example of we hardly ever talk anymore because she's getting married and has her own life and I work and I have my own life. But I reach out at least once a month, if not twice, and say, Hey, just thinking about you. Saw this funny meme about science and sea cucumbers. For the reference, she kept a sea cucumber in our fridge in college. But, you know, I make sure to reach out to her. Even friends that I've met recently through my Facebook group, like I'm pretty consistently reaching out saying, hey, are y'all doing okay? And stuff like that. Because that's just always been how I interact with my friends. And I'm just not good at that. See, I'm one of these people that I'm very good face-to-face. So I interact with people mostly face-to-face, and this has been very isolating for me. So how are you dealing with that? I got I got my mama in the house, my, my <laughs> wife, so that's my face-to-face. <laughs> that, that sounds a little sketchy. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's hard because I refer to her as mama when I'm talking to you all, so the crowd is just out there laughing at this. Yeah. How, how is she doing? So this is interesting. Her choice has been literally not to leave the house now for three weeks. So she hasn't gone grocery shopping. She she hasn't. We go out on walks together, but she really hasn't gotten in a car and gone anywhere. That tracks. That doesn't surprise me even a little bit. Yeah. She gets very nervous when I go out grocery shopping and like like I'm so I'm an ex-soldier and it reminds her of me going out to war when I'm going to Harris Teeter and it's like, hmm, <laughs> not the same. <laughs> 
but for her, it's frightening. But, you know, that's the kind of difference that happens in couples and all around the place. And it's accepting those differences and being flexible with them, flowing with them, that's going to make this whole thing work. I could see that ending really badly for some couples. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to. You can appreciate it. You can you can acknowledge it. And acknowledge it as a difference. It doesn't have to be what you do. This episode, we sort of checked in with each other and then talked through some experiences uh, at different phases of life as a, a single person living alone, a young adult couple with kids, me and Sarah. And then Don gave us some good guidance about having a family with kids of varying ages and dealing with schedules and that sort of thing. And then also our relationships with our elderly folks uh, who are also experiencing this event with us. And hopefully that gives you some ideas and some help in continuing to deal with this situation, this crisis, and uh, go out there and you know call some friends, reach out to some people. We'll get through it together. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email Ben at BearCaveAudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back, and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Mm-hmm.